Good morning, Crosspoint. And right before our worship team gets down from the pulpit, I just want to mention from the stage, I just want to mention today is my beautiful daughter Rebecca's birthday. So grateful for her, so grateful for the entire team. But Rebecca, thank you. She's 17. Can you believe that? She's my little one. What? We're blessed to have our worship team. Um, keep them in prayer always. Encourage them. If you don't know them, get to know them. And, um, and continue to pray that the Lord will continue to rise up and bring us more musicians and singers. And, and um, we... we um, Look forward to, we enjoy what we have, we are appreciative, and also look forward to seeing what God will continue to do with that. We're, we're set, just so you know, we're setting up this really nice room upstairs, it's going to be their practice room slash recording studio, um, I don't know what, it's going to come out of that, but we're trying to set up something nice for them, um, and thank you for those of you that are involved in that as well. So everybody, thank you for being here, we're grateful to have you. Some of you guys are here from very far away, uh, um, and some of you are, are joining us online, and we're grateful for that as well. We're grateful that we're able to provide this uh, service live, and also, again, I'll keep mentioning that all of our services are online in uh, YouTube, so make sure you get the weekly newsletter that LV does such an awesome job in. LV's over there. She hasn't been with us for a while, so big round of applause for LV. I'm really blessed to see you, LV. Great to see you here, and thank you for all that you do. Really appreciate everything that you do. Uh, she's a bit of a magician in a very good way. Uh, send her some stuff, and she turns it into something really nice for us to be able to promote events and such. So welcome, everybody. I want to mention some things that are already in the newsletter, so I'm just going to go through them really quick. If you like hiking, if you want to get to know people at Crosspoint, uh, the 8th of October will be our kickoff, first hiking event, 8.30 here at church. Any questions, see Carmen Perez. I'm also very pleased the next day on the 9th of October, we plan on having baptisms. There's at least one person that has approached me and said, I'm ready to get baptized, uh, and so we're going to make that available on the 9th of October. If you have not been baptized and um, you know that God has done a work in you, uh, let me know if you have any questions. Talk to one of our elders, growth group leaders, myself, and, um, and let's get you baptized. That'll be the 9th. I understand there's a women's ministry event on the 22nd of October. You will be sewing pillowcases. And I was really pleased to see that this is in order to help a, an organization called Bridge of Faith Home, and that services or ministers to foster girls. Um, and, I'll, and I think this is a good segue for me to just quickly mention that yesterday, uh, some of us guys got together and went to the KMG event with Frank Sontag. Um, what a blessing. Every time I go to those events, I, I, I'm encouraged I am motivated and I'm challenged and I am reminded of how much more work there is out there for the church to do. And so I feel a burden in my heart to continue to encourage you and really ask yourself, like, why does God have us here? Uh, he doesn't just save us and take us home. He saves us and he keeps us here in order that we will be his hands and feet. And so we had presenters that talked about a lot of things, but one in particular 
Uh, he is an ex-Navy SEAL. He's an actor. He does all kinds of stuff. And now he's a movie producer. And he's, he produced a movie called Unexpected that's going to be available for free on YouTube. He said this Friday, so I'm guessing this coming Friday. But it's called Unexpected. And it has to do with human trafficking. Um, things that maybe sometimes we kind of want to keep away from uh, even our mind, because sometimes these topics uh, and these issues are, they feel a little overwhelming. But, you know, part of the message yesterday, if, if not the church, who's going to do something about it? And there's, there's a lot of issues in our culture, in our society, around us, in our community, that need to be addressed with Christ's love. And in our discipleship process, that's, that's what, not, maybe not the culmination, but that's certainly the third step in our simple discipleship process. You know, you come and experience God, you commit to growing in uh, growth groups, and then you find what God has equipped you and built you for in order that you will serve His kingdom with love in this world. And so I just want to encourage you, let's, let's, let's get on the move um, when we talk about what we're going to talk about today, about Christ's patient grace, I don't want us to come on a Sunday morning and then, you know, you hear a message, a biblical message, and then feel like, oh, isn't it awesome that God is patient and gracious? It is awesome, but that needs to move us to action. All right, so keep that in mind. So this women's ministry on October the, the 22nd, sewing pillowcases. And if you saw the newsletter, you don't have to be a master seamstress or anything like that. You can just come, and there's a lot of ways for you to be involved. And one of the things that happens is you get to know, uh, in that case, some of the women here in church and build relationships that are very important. That's it for announcements. I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, in order for us to prepare to take communion this morning. If you didn't grab one of these on your way in, you want to raise your hand, and we'll have one of our ushers come around and, and provide you with one. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. I would encourage you to go home and read this section, especially the verses before that, and it'll make sense why he, Paul, says, and such were some of you. Hmm? We were what? And if you read the couple of verses before that, it's not a nice list that he's calling out the Corinthians. He's reminding them, hey, some of you guys were thieves. Some of you guys were of the worst kind of people. But then he says, verse 11, and such were some of you. And I love that. He says, but so were some of you in the past, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so Paul is reminding them and saying, like, man, you, there's, there's some bad stuff going out there, some bad people out there. And he says, and don't forget, you were like that. You were like that, but you're not like that anymore. You're no longer those people. He says, you were washed. How were we washed? The Bible explains that we were washed with the very blood of Christ that he shed on the cross. Washed by his blood. And, and look, look at the, the tense here. So were some of you. You were washed. 
you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. And all of that is made possible by his sacrifice. He literally shed his blood and gave his life in order that we would have a relationship with him, that our sins will be dealt with. We were dirty in sin, and we were washed with the blood of Christ, and thus we are no longer who we used to be. Praise God for that. But we have been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. That is the gospel, that we deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to take that punishment, and we deserve to take on God's righteous and perfect wrath upon our sin. And yet, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says, you do deserve it, but I will take your place. I praise God for that. When we take communion, as you peel back the first layer and you take the bread, it is symbolic of the body of our Lord Jesus, and we identify with his death on the cross on our behalf. Let's take that together. So you peel back the second layer, you see the Jews. This is symbolic of the very blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, with which our sins were washed away. Let's take that together. This morning, as we stand, if you can, and, and like, we're going to sing a new hymn. And this hymn was also written in the 19th century, and it's called Crown Him with Many Crowns. So let's stand, let's sing this hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And I would encourage you, if you go to YouTube and you put Crown Him with Many Crowns, you're literally going to have like thousands of videos uh, by different artists, different choruses, different uh, styles. Uh, but how awesome that we're able to continue this legacy of faith through these hymns. Um, so if you know it, sing it nice and loud. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of him, one with the Father known. One with the Spirit through him give from yonder glorious throne. To thee be endless praise, for thou hast died for me. Be thou, O Lord, thou endless days adored and magnified. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the opportunity to come to you in prayer as we're gathered in your name, recognizing 
your love and your grace and your sacrifice on our behalf. We're humbled by that. And there isn't anything that we can do to repay you. But Father, we pray that you would help us to live grateful lives that would bring honor and glory to your name. We want to crown you with many crowns. You are deserving of all honor and praise. And we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered in order that we would sing these songs, in order that we would be exposed to your word. Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, and transform us. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated, beloved. So this morning we will continue our studies in Luke chapter 9. We've been in Luke chapter 9 for a couple of months. This morning we're going to review Luke 9, 37 through 48. It's a long chapter, so we still have a, possibly a couple more uh, messages based on Luke chapter 9. And the main point this morning, right before I read this portion, is this. The title is Christ's Perfect Grace. Sorry, patient grace. Christ's patient grace, which is perfect. But the main point is that we glorify God by recognizing and appreciating God's patient grace. Beloved, what would we do, what would we be without God's patience and perfect grace towards our lives? And so I hope that this morning as we're exposed to this portion and this message that we will grow in gratitude for sure. But again, that this gratitude and that this information that we gather about God's patient grace towards us will transform our lives in how we deal with other people, in, in how we, we surrender our lives, like the first, I believe it was the first uh, song that we sang this morning, how we surrender our lives to him, knowing and seeing God's patient grace towards us. But it has to move us. It has to transform us. We can't settle for coming on a Sunday morning and being exposed to messages, feeling good about the fact that God is so gracious and God is so good and God is so patient. All right? So let me read Luke 9, verses 37 through 48. It reads, Now it happened on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. Suddenly, a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the Spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs for him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at the thing which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let those, sorry, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus perceived the thought of their heart, 
took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me for he who is least among you all will be great. So there's actually about three different scenes here that Luke expresses in his gospel. So what I want to do is I want to talk about the Lord's patient grace. And in the message, I have three points. And we're all going to, we're, we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, complete this phrase. We see our Lord's patient grace in, and there's three points. And I want to use each incident here as one of the points in which we see God's patient grace. Toward, specifically towards his disciples. So there's, there's lots, of, lots of things that we could have uh, expressed here. I, I trust that you guys are reading along and you're letting the Holy Spirit teach you as you're reading and you're studying. Uh, and so what I want to do is take these, this portion that has three different scenes and take each scene as an example of God's patient grace towards his disciples. And then make that application because... Just as he's patient with his disciples, he's patient towards us. And if not for that, you and I would be in seriously big trouble. All right? So what would be of us if not for his patient grace? Really think about that. Uh, because that's what's going to transform us, I believe, and equip us to be able to deal with people around us. Let me ask you. Do people know you as a patient individual? Or a short-tempered, short-fused guy, you know? Do people have to walk in eggshells around you? You know, careful what you say to him. Make sure you don't bring up that topic to her because you know what happens. Don't look at him straight in the eye. Oh, I don't know how bad it is with you, but as Christians, we can't, we can't be known as short-fused. We can't be known as impatient people we can't be known as arrogant individuals that look down on people. You just cannot. To do that is so contradictory to a profession of faith because a profession of faith, a genuine one, assumes that you understand who God is and, and that you have a, a sense, at least a basic sense of the fact that God is patient with you and that he's gracious towards you. And if we are his children, it should follow then that we should be known by others as patient individuals, as gracious individuals. Sometimes, sometimes every once in a while, someone will come up to me and say, like, Mike, I just feel like I'm not really growing at church. Let me choose my words wisely here. Lord, patience. And I have to kind of laugh and cry in the inside and I try to be respectful when people say that. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm being very serious. I don't know about you. When I look at what I just said right now about how people perceive me, that is highly convicting to me. I take that as very important because if I profess to be a Christian, a follower of Christ who's meek and humble, and people don't see that in me, that is a contradiction. I'm being a stumbling block to people. If people don't want to come to church because... They see what I say, but then they see what I do. That's a very big problem. And I say that for me, and I will trust that you feel the same way. Because none of us are there. None of us are a perfect representation of our Lord. And, and, and I don't ever want us to come to church and hear some of the words that I say feel like, 
man, Mike just really came down on us. I don't know if I want to go to church anymore. Don't be a spiritual wimp. Take it. You know, yesterday at the men, they kept calling us buttercups, huh, did you? Ate or did you? We didn't like that, dude. You know, if you don't like it, tough it out, buttercup. I'm like, oh, you just called me a buttercup. You can't be a Christian and be a wimp. You can't. Because you're going to read stuff here and be like, oh, how dare Jesus say that about me? It's okay to come to a service like this. It's okay to open up the word. It's okay to listen to a preacher on the radio and feel like, man, I just took a beating. Praise God for that. You should really praise God for that when you feel that way. And it's never my intent to make you feel bad. It is never my intent to put myself in any higher level than anybody here or anywhere else. It's, it's all about what does God's word say, and then let's look at it and, and really be in tune with what it's saying and realize that there's so much for us to learn. There's so much for us to grow. And it's okay because it's not about perfection. It's about direction and progression. Are we moving towards where God wants us to be? Too many of us kind of kick ourselves and beat ourselves up for where we're at. Well, take a look at where you were, like we read in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Now, if you're, still, if you're still the same person you've always been, then that's concerning. You need to get on your knees and you need to talk to somebody. Because it's very possible that you've never experienced a genuine conversion. But most of us are able to say, man, I'm not anywhere near where I should be and could be. But praise God, I'm no longer the person I used to be. I see a change in my life. I see me growing, not as fast as I should and could, but... Boy, I'm so glad I'm not the same person. And so don't ever feel like, you know, I, don't, I mean, I know we all feel that way sometimes. I'm kind of, I feel stuck. But then the enemy will have you think that it's the preacher. The enemy will have you feel that it's, it's the basic studying of the word. I need, I need something like stronger. I need something bigger. I need something more exciting. You don't. You need the gospel. You need the gospel to transform you. You need the gospel to inform you and to move you. And so this morning, as we talk about Christ's perfect, patient grace towards us, one of the applications is, how am I when it comes to patience? And not, not so much what you think about yourself. It's like, what do people say about you? Because all of us are probably, you know, if I was to have you rate yourself from zero to ten, you know, ten being the most patient person in this world, most of us, I would imagine, would probably score ourselves higher than the people around us would score us. Like, I would probably score me. I'm just kidding. I see my wife over there. She's looking at me. Let's kind of keep that in mind as we go through this. We glorify God by recognizing and appreciating God's patient grace, and that should move us towards a transform, more transformed life to be more like him. So let's get right to it. We see our Lord's patient grace in, and uh, I hope you have a, a handout. We have the handles available for you so you can kind of fill it out or take it home later. Uh, you will probably notice that at the bottom of the handout, we made a little modification. We wrote down the mission of our church, which is to glorify God by lovingly pointing people to the cross of Christ for salvation and growth. If you ever wonder, what is our church about? It is about making disciples. It is about growing as disciples of Christ, and a disciple of Christ is a disciple maker. That's what we're all about. We want to glorify God by making disciples, by lovingly pointing people to the cross of Christ for salvation and for growth. 
And we should all be on that discipleship path. And then the, the three words in the bottom of your handout is experience, commit, and serve. That's our discipleship plan. You come to church in the morning to experience God through worship. It's not limited to here. And then we ask that you would commit to spiritual growth through growth groups. And then we encourage you to find what did God build you for and save you for in order that you will show his love through a service team or through serving in a ministry. Okay? We see our Lord's patient grace in point number one, the apostles' unbelief. The apostles' unbelief. Um, this, if you remember last week, we talked about the Lord um, and his transfiguration in the mountain. This kind of high, the Lord hangs out with Elijah and he hangs out with Moses. And of course, the Lord is, is greater than, than the two of them and everybody else combined. Uh, the three disciples were there and they saw it. So it was the, the father kind of makes a special appearance and he says, hey, this is my beloved son. Hear him. So, I, you know, I kind of see that as a, as a really big deal. And then it says that immediately, once they come down from the mountain, this crowd comes back. You know, the Lord had purposely and intentionally gotten away from the crowds. He took his three disciples, met with Elijah, Moses, had the father make an appearance. And then he comes down from the mountain and says that the crowd just met him. I can't get a break. You know, as soon as he comes down, it's like, oh, there he is. Let's get some more stuff from him. And, he, and the crowd meets him, and a man from the crowd who had an only child who was possessed by a demon cries out and says, Teacher, look upon my son. Help me. You know, there's a demon that possesses him and mistreats him. And, and it's interesting that the Lord would turn to that, and not just to him, but I believe to everybody there, including and probably especially his disciples, in verse 41 and he says, then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And, to, you know, I read uh, commentaries and such and meditate on why would, it kind of sounded like the Lord was bothered, right? And I could probably, humanly speaking, identify with that. He's, he kind of went on a retreat, right? And then he, as soon as he comes down, He's not even able to grab a sandwich. And before you know it, people are already rushing towards him. And here's this man just yelling out of the crowd, like, please heal my son. Like, get to work. And, and the Lord um, seems to be bothered. And what bothers him is the faithlessness of the people. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. And I don't want to get stuck here, but... I think part of the idea is that, you know, the Lord did heal a lot of people. He did a lot of miracles. He fed people. But that wasn't the purpose for him coming. That's not why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And his, his works, his miracles, in part, no doubt out of compassion because he loves humanity. But in, in a big part, those works were meant to, in people's eyes, to validate the fact that he was somebody special. There was a time when the Lord you know, says, hey, if you don't believe my words, then believe my actions. Pay attention to what I do. Look at what God is doing through me, and you should be able to believe that I am the Son of God, God in the flesh, by what you see me doing. But, but the works were not the important thing. It was his ultimate work that was going to take place at the cross in order that he would provide a way for salvation for people. 
And, and so he experiences this awesome scene in, in the mountain. The father comes and says, hear him. And as soon as he comes down from the mountain, people are already asking for more miracles. And, and yet he, he is gracious enough and patient enough that he would heal this, this child and cast out the demon. But I think there's a word for us to, to consider this idea again that we've talked about before, this consumer mentality in the, in the, in the modern church, where we kind of think that it's all about us. You know, let's go to church so you can get a miracle. Let's go to church because, you know, if you go to church, you know, they'll teach you how to properly use your finances, and God's probably going to bless you. And, you'll be, and, and, and God wants to bless you, of course. He wants you to be financially stable so you can glorify him with your money. All those things are good, but that's not the priority. That's not the priority, and I think part of it, the Lord here seems bothered because of that. The Father says, hear him. Listen to the message that he has. And hear the crowd, do this for me, Lord. And it's totally understandable, right? A father with an only child who's demon-possessed. I mean, I give props to this dad, and I think so does the Lord. Because out of the crowd, he just yells out, teacher, please. And then he says, I, I begged your disciples to help out with this, and they weren't able to cast out this demon. And that's when the Lord in 941 says, Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And he heals him. And I think part of it had to do with the disciples. He's saying, like, what do you mean they weren't able to cast them out? And they weren't able to cast them out for lack of faith, apparently. And if you read the other Gospels, like Mark, the Lord says, you know, these types of, of demons don't come out unless it's done through prayer and fasting. But we're not going to get into that. What we're going to focus on the fact is that we see our Lord's patient grace in the apostles' unbelief. The Lord says, you faithless, you people that lack faith and trust in me. And yet he, is, he seems to be bothered by it, but then he still goes ahead. He says, how long shall I bear with you? How long do I have to put up with you? It's a rhetorical question. And then he goes ahead and he heals this child. In Mark 9.24, the same story that we're reading here in Mark, it's found in Mark 9, and in verse 24, the Lord has this dialogue with the dad. And this is one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Can't even say it without getting emotional. So the Lord kind of gets mad at everybody and says, you unbelieving generation, you faithless people. And the dad says, Lord, I do believe, but I need help with my unbelief. Can you identify with that? This is an honest dad that says, Lord, I do believe. That's why I brought him to you. But I also realize that my faith lacks. My faith lacks. And so don't be surprised, beloved. You know, we're all here because of faith, by God's grace, and faith is a gift of God. It's not something we earn or intellectually acquire. And so praise God that he has given us faith, faith to come. But don't be surprised when your faith falls short. That just makes you human. 
a normal child of God. And if the disciples who saw these miracles still lack faith, it, it, I think it is good for us to become familiar with this phrase, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We realize that our faith has limits. And it's okay because it'll drive us closer to the Lord. When you find yourself in those situations where you're like, Lord, I, I can't handle this, the Lord would say, just come to me. Second Peter 2.9. It says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to serve the unjust under the punishment of the day of judgment. That's not the verse that I think I wanted here. Um, the verse that I wanted from Peter is the one where it says, God is not uh, slack in his return, but it says he's patient. He's patient, not willing that anybody should perish, but to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Lord God is patient towards us. So we see our Lord's patient grace in the apostles' unbelief. We see it in our unbelief. And we realize that God is patient because he wants people saved. When other people say, wait, I thought you were waiting for the Lord. He's lacking. He's slacking. He's taking forever. It's not that. It's that God is patient and he wants everyone to be saved. So we see our Lord's patient grace in the apostles' unbelief. We also see the Lord's patient, point number two, in the apostles, not understanding things. Not understanding things. You know, it's interesting that after that scene with the child, he's healed. The Lord gives him back to his father. And then in verse 43, he says, And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. They saw this miracle, and they were amazed by it. But while everyone marveled at the things which Jesus did, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. That's a way of saying, like, look, really pay attention. What I'm about to say is really important. I want you to hear this. And he had already said this in previous times. He's going to keep saying it. He says, this is really important. Let it sink in your ears. He says, for the Son of Man, or himself, is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. He's constantly telling his disciples, look, this is what's about to happen. This is a really big deal. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be turned over to the hands of men. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. But verse 45, but they did not understand this saying. They looked at each other like, what's he talking about? What does he mean by that? But very interesting, it says, and it was hidden from them. It was God's plan to, for them not to understand, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. So they were unclear what he was talking about, but the God is involved in their inability to understand. But the Lord wants them to understand. He's like, pay attention. Let this sink into your ears. I'm about to be betrayed. It's a really big deal. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to resurrect. And they're like, what, what do you think he meant by that? Did you understand what he said? Yeah, I don't know. Something about like being betrayed or something. I don't know. And then they were afraid to ask him. Maybe because he had already told them so many times that they didn't get it. They were afraid to ask. Nonetheless, we see the, for whatever reason, we see the apostles not understanding what Jesus is telling them. And it was a big deal for the Lord. That's why he kept saying, like, pay attention. Let this sink into your ears. And they still didn't get it. And yet we see God's patient grace even towards their inability to understand. Luke 9, 45 says, but they did not understand this saying, for it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it and were afraid to ask him about this saying. They did not understand 
Beloved, can I submit to you that you and I do not understand a lot of things. A lot of things. I, I kind of try to check myself whenever I feel like, oh, I got this down. Like, no, I'm sure I don't. I'm sure I don't. And if you think, like, Mike, what do you mean you don't, you don't think you got it all down? Like, I don't think I got anything down. I mean, the more I dig into things, I'm amazed by, you know, if I get a slight closer glimpse of, of God's big picture, I'm, I'm, I stand in awe. I realize how much I don't understand. You know, we should not ever assume that we have it all down. I mean, when it comes to God, God is a mystery, beloved. He's a mystery. He's greater, stronger, wiser than anything that you can imagine. Sometimes we say things like, probably heard me say this before, you know, something strange happens, and then you say something, and then you're able to see how it all worked out, and you say something like, boy, God works in mysterious ways. And you say that because you actually saw how things kind of worked out. Isn't God amazing how he... But, beloved, I would submit to you that God is on the move behind the scenes and in front of the scenes and everywhere in between, and he's doing things that you and I will never know, ever. You know, when, when, in, in Romans, sometimes we like to quote this verse where all things work together for good. You know what that means? It means that everything and for everyone, every instance, every situation, every circumstance God is not only aware of it, but he's working it out for your good, for those who love him and are called to his purposes. Everything. So when we say that he's sovereign and he's powerful and he's wise, you and I have no idea the extent of his character, his love, his grace, his forgiveness. We cannot understand that. And so sometimes we get this silly idea like, yeah, we, I understand. Oh, now I know our discipleship. If I was to quiz you, we wouldn't even be able to give us my, our dis, church's discipleship process. We did that for the uh, leaders in the church. And wow, we got like a F minus. That's why we put it on the handout. All I'm saying is there's so, God is so much greater. And his purposes are so much deeper and so much higher that you and I, in comparison to the totality of the big plan, we don't understand. And that's okay. We stay at it. And we rejoice in the little bit that we do understand. And we desire more. I want to know more. I hope everybody here feels like, man, I feel like I know the Lord. I'm kind of understanding things. I want more. Yes, that's where we want to be. The apostles not understanding shows us God's patient grace towards them. And we have to realize that we have very limited understanding of God and his purposes and his character. And that's okay, though. Let's move more towards Understanding him better. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age are blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. I want, I want to use that verse because, like I said at the beginning, for us to learn about God, Christ's patient grace should transform us, and that should change how we deal with people. And we should understand that we have limited understanding of who God is. That his ways and his purpose is so much higher 
way higher than you can understand or even believe or imagine. But then there's this other factor of like, how do we, once we do have some understanding of the gospel, of God and his purposes, then how do we relate to other people that, that don't know? And the normal thing is for us to become conceited. Like, I know where God got me out of. They got him no longer like that, but, but these people still are like that. They don't get it. And, and something inside of you, whether you want to admit it or not, it's going to tell you, like, yeah, they don't get it, but you got it. Good job. You should be familiar with verses like this. Say the reason why they don't get it, the reason why you didn't get it is because the enemy, the devil himself, Satan, the God of this world, had blinded you. There was a veil over you. You couldn't understand until God's gospel and the light of his message came through and through the Holy Spirit opened your understanding. And our prayer should be, we should be patient with people that don't know the Lord. We should be praying for them. And we should be doing everything possible so that that light of the gospel could shine on them through our words, and through our actions. Romans 2.4, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, or patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Thank God for God's patient grace. His kindness and his goodness is what leads us to repentance. When you realize through the word of God that we're all sinners, And then you're like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And then you realize, but God, in his love, sent his only begotten to die on the cross of Calvary for you. You realize his patience, his kindness, his goodness, and that is what leads us to repentance, to surrender and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Think about the person you love the most. Think of the person you love the most and how willing are you to hurt them and to do things that are displeasing to them. You probably still do them because you're human. But more, the more you love a person, the less you want to hurt them. When we begin to understand God's patient grace, we want to live for him out of gratitude. We want to honor him and glorify his name. Point number three. We see our Lord's patient grace towards the apostles and us through their unbelief, through their not understanding or lack of understanding. And then point number three, the apostles' unbelievable question. And actually here, they don't actually ask the question, but if you read the other um, gospels, they literally ask the question. The question is, and the scene here is that the Lord just finished telling them that he's about to be betrayed, turned over, killed, and then among the disciples... A dispute arose among them as to which of them will be the greatest. And they actually ask. And one of their mommies comes and asks for them, actually. If you read the other, I'm telling you, you should read the other uh, Gospels as well. One of the moms comes and says, like, hey, can you do this for my sons? I'm like, what? The Lord, I could just see the Lord. God, did you guys just send your mom over to ask me to? All right. So we see that. The apostles' unbelievable question. The, the, the question that they had is, who of us will be the greatest in your kingdom? The Lord's like, what? You ask, I just told him about to be betrayed. Are you asking who's, who of you is going to be the greatest? Oh, boy. Do we ever find ourselves making our faith 
about us instead about him. And I think we all do. Let me read Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Then if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. Meaning, make it about him, not about you. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So even as the disciples are coming up with these weird, incredible, how could you possibly be thinking that right now? The Lord is still patient and gracious towards them. Even when people are faithless, he remains faithful. Thank God for that. Psalms 103, verse 8. I want to finish with this. Listen to this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And aren't you glad about that? The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is patient or slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And what would be of us if that wasn't the case? And then the question is, then how should we live based on this? I think we should enjoy his patient grace but let it also move us towards blessing others. To live an exciting, purposeful, meaningful, impactful life is the way that we're going to leave a legacy, beloved, no matter how much time you have left, and none of us know what that is. And I think that's one of the, the things that I took away from yesterday's KMG event. Like, what are we doing? And it cannot be. Oh, I went to church on Sunday. Oh, good for you, but... Even our discipleship process, I'm saying, even if you, you come to church to experience God through worship every Sunday, and you commit to growth in growth groups, and you're engaged, and you're learning, and you're meeting each other's needs, and praying for one another, and getting to know people, and even if you're serving in a service team, and you come in, whether it's a food distribution, or you help set up our, our, our place here, or you're in our worship team, we're saying if you do those three steps, that's really the foundation for God to say, all right, looks like you're putting yourself through this, you know, training. I want to use you. I want to use you for something great. I want to use you for something that you never thought you could be used for. That's what we need faith for. In, in thinking about this, I was asking myself, you know, in my life, what areas in my life do I need faith in order to be able to function here? Or do I have everything under control? Am I doing only as much as I think Mike can do with his intellect and his experience and his knowledge? In what ways am I stepping out of the boat? In what ways am I walking with the Lord? How am I exercising faith? How am I, how am I revealing to others that I live by faith, not by sight? And it's not about proving anything to anyone. It's about me. How am I living my life? How am I demonstrating that without my faith in Christ, I wouldn't be able to do this? How am I dependent on him? Understanding that God is patient and he's gracious towards us even though we don't deserve it. I want to challenge you. Really ask yourselves, what are we doing? Like I said, when I saw the women's ministry collaborating with um, Bridge of Faith House, and how they minister to foster girls. Beloved, that is a good work. We are supposed to defend the helpless. We are supposed to come alongside and help those in need. 
We're not supposed to just get comfortable and like our church and invite people to church as if that was enough. We need to, the church needs to go out and do. We need to be the hands and feet of Christ. Why? Because God's patient grace saved me, sustains me. He promises to keep me and provide for me so that I can do the work that he has prepared for me to do. What is that? We need to get on our knees. And don't limit yourself to yourself. Put your eyes on Christ. Ask him what he wants you to do. And then go for it. And exercise some faith in your life. That's the only way we're going to live exciting, purposeful, meaningful, impactful lives for God's kingdom, for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for allowing us this time together. Thank you for everybody who's here, for those watching online, for those maybe listening to a recording later on. We pray for forgiveness for our sins and trespasses. We pray for forgiveness for our unbelief, for our lack of understanding, and for at times just asking you some unbelievably silly questions. But in all things, we glorify you because even through our unbelief, our lack of understanding, and about us making sometimes our faith about us rather than you, you are patient and you are gracious. And for that, we thank you. We glory in that. And we pray that you would help us to live courageous lives, lives of faith, daring to do things for your kingdom that you have prepared for us to do. We need wisdom, we need direction, we need courage. So we thank you, we ask for that in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, beloved, you are dismissed.